Would you please turn to Hebrews chapter 11? Hebrews chapter 11. As many of you know, yesterday we had a memorial service for one of the most wonderful ladies that I've ever known in my life. Judy Newman was a Christian. And you think, okay, well, yeah, a lot of people are Christians. Well, a lot of people say they are. And I had a, a friend of mine once say that you know, the greatest thing anybody could ever be called is Christian. You know, you can be called a lot of great things, but the greatest thing is Christian. And Judy, Judy was a, uh, a real testimony of faith. And some people might wonder about that. You know, well, about the last three years, you know, she really struggled physically. Well, it wasn't just the last three years. I mean, she struggled physically for a long time, and you didn't know it. But yet, as often as she could, she was here. And the fact that a lot of you do not know of the physical struggles that she was going through, really, I don't know, 20, 30 years? The fact that you don't know that is a testimony in and of itself. Because what that means is she didn't go around fussing, complaining. You know, a lot of people can complain with a smile on their face. You know what I mean? They kind of dress it up with uh, cutesy talk to make it not sound like it's a complaint when it really is. She wasn't like that. She stood firm. And she went through a lot, a lot of challenges. And there's no need to go into all the lists of those challenges, some of which none of us have gone through in our own lives. But she continued to stand strong and speak the word and speak her faith and declare her trust in Jesus. She thoroughly enjoyed being here, playing the bass, singing, worshiping the Lord. And when she couldn't be here, she watched online, and every now and then I would get a, a text from her or so forth, something concerning a service, and, and uh, she never complained. She, her, her constant declaration was what God had said in the Word for her. She constantly declared her healing. In fact, during the service uh, yesterday, if you were here and you saw the displays that were up here, one of the displays was a framed, uh, what she had written, her confession of healing for herself. That was framed, it was up on uh, the table here. And even though her healing did not fully manifest in her body here in this life, she continued to declare her healing. Continued to confess it. And I'm, I don't mean to be cruel to anybody, but, I mean, let's just say, is it possible there might be some hearing my voice? You can't say that about yourself, and neither can we. You know, one of the things that um, <laughs> has frustrated Kathy over the years is my refusal to talk about what I'm going through physically. And it, sometimes it's made her really angry. Will you just talk to me? 
but I don't like to talk about the Genesis 3 effect on my body. I want to talk about the Word of God effect on my body. Well, with Judy, you may not realize it, but she left a legacy of Christianity. I don't know every aspect of how she was raised as far as the kind of church she attended as a child. But I do know this, you know, 40 years ago, Kathy was reunited with Judy because the two of them went to high school together. Well, Kathy was reunited with Judy, and I met Judy for the first time at the church where Kathy and I attended, Christ Life Sanctuary. This was really right when we got married. And uh, Judy was as faithful then as she she was here. Uh, part of the praise team. I don't remember if she played the bass there at the church or not. I don't think she did, but she was a part of the praise team, part of the or part of the choir, um, and she was faithful. You know, when the doors were open, she was there as much as she could be. She was there. She would encourage you. She would speak God's love to you. This was the legacy that Judy left for us. And as I was thinking about all this, I began to wonder, what legacy will we leave? Let's face it, guys. Um, <laughs> you know how people say, well, you know, if the Lord tarries. And I used to buy into that anymore nowadays. I'm not really sure. I mean, it's not like Jesus is up in heaven waiting to get in the mood to come back. The Bible makes it very clear there's a plan. And even Jesus, when he was on earth, he said, look, I don't even know the day or the hour. I don't even know. This is something that's in the heart of the Father. But Jesus will know because the day will come when God will say, son, go get him. And here he comes. But what if that's 200 years from now? And I know some people say, there's no way, there's too much prophecy being fulfilled. I totally understand what you're saying. But just, just work with me here. What if it's another hundred years? In other words, the longer time passes before he returns, you do realize that your body and my body will give out. And Spiritually, you know, we will leave these bodies and go on to be with the Lord. So what kind of legacy will we leave? It's interesting how that when you go to funerals, it really doesn't matter what the person was like in life. People say good things about him. You know, you never hear about, well, he was a drunken bum. You never hear about, um, you know, well, she was the worst mother you could ever have. I remember one time, you know, I've shared before how the, when I was a kid, I thought it was stupid for people to look at the obituaries. But now, here I am, and I'm looking at obituaries, and every now and then I see people, it's like, man, you got to be kidding me. And, you know, I see, you know, so-and-so, you know, 66 years old, 64 years passed away. And I'm thinking, wait a second, <laughs> I'm in that 60s category here. And there was a, an obituary one time 
where it was two obituaries really stand out to me. And one of them, and both had to do with a woman. One, you know how it usually gives the last name and then the first name? Well, that's what it did. But then, underneath that, there was no date of birth or date of death. There was nothing. And let's just imagine that the, name, the lady's name was Sheila. Okay, because I don't remember the name. All it said was, Sheila's dead. That was it. That was the obituary. It's like, okay, let's see. The person's listed in the obituaries. I kind of gather she's gone. And then there was another one where, again, let's just say that this lady's name was Sheila. All right? And it says, you know, the last name and then the first name. And then underneath that, the only thing it said was, forgive me ahead of time, all right? The only thing it said was, Sheila was a hell of a woman. And I'm thinking, that was it. That's all I said. I'm thinking, what? This is weird. This is really weird. Um, you know, I'm hoping that Kathy puts a little bit more than that. I mean, you know, it, <laughs> he be gone. <laughs> but every. <laughs> Yeah, she's already thinking. It's like, yeah, okay, that sounds good to me. I just... <laughs> but let's be honest, you know, just, let's just be really honest. At a lot of funerals, sometimes a lot of truth is left out. And not, over, not everybody has made it to heaven. So what kind of a legacy will we leave? Even if somebody, even if, if at our funeral, uh, not all the truth is told. But what kind of legacy will we leave behind, even in the part that is not told at the funeral? What will be our legacy? Well, if you look here in Hebrews chapter 11, let's pick this up in verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which were, are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he, being dead, yet speaketh. By faith. Enoch was translated that he should not see death. and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, <clears throat> moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should not, which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him of the same promise. 
For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in, the mul- in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the things to come. By faith Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest that lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, attempting to do, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab perished, not with them that believed not, when she had received the spies with peace. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the wedge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection." And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. 
Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you realize what we just read there? Well, yeah, by faith, by faith, by faith. Yes, that's true. What we just read was legacy. Over and over and over again. Legacy. There's something, though, that jumped out to me. Go back to the very first verse. Well, no, uh, the very first part of what we read, chapter 11. And it talks about faith, the substance of things hoped for. You know, by it, the elders obtained a good report. We understand the worlds were framed. Then you get to verse 4, and it says, By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Isn't it interesting how this starts with Abel and not Adam? (laughs) What kind of legacy did Adam leave? By unbelief, Adam condemned the world and all of creation. That was his legacy. And you want to talk about living with regret? There's not one person in this room who has ever gone through anything in life. You have never done anything as bad as Adam. He lived to be over 900 years old. And you don't think, in my imagination, every day he regretted what he did in that garden. Because he couldn't go back and change it. And as he began to, he and Eve began to have children, and they saw all this stuff that was happening over the next, you know, 900 years of his life, all the degradation, all the sin, all the death, all the murders, all the horrors, all the stuff going on, he knew, this is my fault. I'm the one that caused all of this. Now, granted, people have their own human will. But the sin nature that impacted human will came about as a result of Adam. So, you know, don't ever get on this pity party kick how that God can't forgive me, God doesn't love me, God doesn't, God doesn't. No, I don't want to hear it. Seriously, I'm not trying to be cruel to you. Just think about Adam. All right? Next time you start feeling sorry for yourself, think about Adam. He He's not in here because... What kind of a legacy could he leave? Oh, I know he probably uh, worked hard to instruct his children about, let me tell you why everything's in such a mess. But it starts out with Abel. And we go through here and we see over and over and over again, these people, they were acting, you know, by faith this person, by faith that person, so on and so forth. But that was their legacy. And then he talks about people that were killed. Because they refuse to back down. That's their legacy. And it's interesting how he says here at the end of chapter 11, that look, all these people, verse 39, all these people, and there's so many I can't even name them. There's not enough space to name all these people. He said, all of them, they, re- they have obtained a good report. Well, from whom did they receive the good report? It was God. 
God testified over them, if you will, of what they had done. They received a good report, and it was counted unto them for righteousness. But he says, in spite of that, they received not the promise. Well, what was the promise? Because when you go through the Old Testament, over and over again, you see God making somebody a promise, and then the promise coming to pass. Well, what is the promise? Well, he helps you understand the promise in verse chapter 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. The promise was a born-again life here on this planet while you were still in this body. A restoration back to God according to God's original Genesis 1 and 2 plan. That was the promise. But they never received that promise while in an, an earthly body because Jesus had not come to complete His work so that the promise of a born-again life could be passed on to people. They, they could not receive that. But what's amazing is this. They did not know when that kind of a promise was going to be manifested. So basically what they did was this. They had an understanding of God. They had a comprehension of God. They had a realization of God. And they made a decision, the ones before the law and the ones after the law. They made a decision, this is how I'm going to live. I don't know what's going to change and when. But I know this. Here is what God has established. Here's what God desires. This is what I'm going to do. And it says here that, you know, they went through so much in their lives. They, they struggled so much at times. And yet, they remained steadfast. And God says it's an act of faith. Well, it was. But here's the thing. You can't act in faith unless you have an instruction to obey. You understand what I'm saying? Unless you know what you're supposed to do, you can't act in faith. Well, every one of them, they had an idea. The ones before the law was given. I really don't know how God communicated with them, and then even after the law. Now, what I mean is this. Sometimes you read in Scripture, there in the Old Testament, it'll say something like, and the word of the Lord came unto. It's like, okay, does that mean that they heard an out loud voice like you're hearing right now? Or does that mean it was something on the inside? Uh, does that mean that God spoke to them during a dream? Exactly how did the word of the Lord come unto them? Now we know that, like, for, well, for example, Moses. Remember the burning bush? And there was the angel of the Lord there began speaking to him. So that was obviously an outside experience where he heard out loud the voice of God. But beyond that, I really don't know. But what I do know is this. Regardless of how these folks came to the understanding of what God desired, they said, that's for me. And they did what they were supposed to do. And he goes through and he gives some of these examples. He talks about how that, well, if you look here in uh, like verse 8, chapter 11, verse 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. So God spoke to him and said, you know, pack up, leave home. Well, obviously, you'd wonder, okay, 
And where do you want me to go? And God said, I'll tell you later. Just pack up and leave for now. So what did he do? He packed up and he left. And you know how crazy that would have sounded to friends and family members? It's like, well, Abram, I, I, I hear you're, you're moving. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, we're out of here. Well, where are you going? Well, you know, God told me that I was supposed to leave. Okay, yeah, but where are you going? Well, I don't know. So God told you to go someplace, but you don't know the place where you're supposed to go. That's right. Abram, are you sure you heard God? Yeah, he just said to pack up and go. That's step one. Pack up and go. And that he would tell me later on. Abram, I I sure hope you're hearing God. Because it sounds to me, sounds to me like you could be making a big mistake. Well, Abram knew he wasn't making a mistake, so he packed up, he left, and it wasn't until later on that God made it very clear to him where he was to go. You know, God kind of, you know, pointed him in a direction and said, go that way. That's what he did. But he didn't know the destination, the final destination. Later on, God revealed that to him. So there was a lot of, um, a lot of things these people were told to do. And in some cases, it resulted in their death. That's what they did. In some cases, it resulted in perceived death, but they didn't die. You know, Daniel in the lion's den, for example. So, what we have here is a chapter full of people who have left a legacy for us, and they weren't even born again, let alone filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, it, it goes on here to say, you know, in chapter 12, verse 1, where it talks about, we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, and, you know, and I've heard people talk, and, and I believe that what that meant was, you know, that all these people who've died, they're in heaven now. God pulls back the curtains of eternity, and they're all up there like it, like it's a football stadium. They're in the stands, and they're watching down and watching what we do, and, yeah, cheering us on. they got a marching band and all this other. That's not what this means. The cloud of witnesses is chapter 11. What that means is you have this massive number of people who testify to God's faithfulness no matter what they went through. Now, did they like everything they experienced? Well, no, not at all. In fact, if you remember the story of um, Abraham, he's uh, when, the, when the angels of the Lord came and visited him just right before Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, talks about Abraham sitting, it was hot. And he's sitting kind of like outside his tent, like sitting in a shade. So there were times where it was not comfortable. You know, they it was hot. And there were times where they had to work really hard, which is what God said in Genesis chapter 3, by the sweat of your brow. So it wasn't always a cheerful event throughout their entire life. But yet they continued to go forward. They continued to trust God. And what's interesting, or one of the many things that's interesting, is that they impressed God so much. Remember there in Timothy, it talks about all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And so therefore, what that means is, whoever wrote whatever got written in Scripture, 
doesn't matter if it was, you know, uh, David or, or John or anybody. You know, whoever wrote what they wrote, God moved upon them to write what they wrote. And God was so impressed by these people, He specifically identified them by name because of their legacy, what they left behind. And then it's almost like, you know, whoever wrote Hebrews, many people believe it was Paul, it may have well have been, but and then it goes he goes here and he talks about how that okay, you know what? There are so many people I, I can't name them. They're just and, and in my mind what I'm thinking is he's writing all of this and then one person after another the name just keeps popping up, popping up, popping up, and finally just says Man, I'm getting writer's cramp. I mean I just I just can't he says, all these people, <laughs> they did this. They left this legacy. So what kind of a legacy are we leaving? If if second Hebrews were being written, would we be in it? Well, I don't know about that. Maybe, maybe not. There are some people I think might be in it. But I'd, I'd at least like to be in this bunch of unnamed people. You know what I mean? It's like, even though the names aren't in there, God knows who they're talking about. Yeah, I'd at least like to be in that group. But what legacy are we leaving? Let's think about this for a moment. When you go through a lot of family problems, and who hasn't been there, what are you saying? What is your declaration over your family? Now, I understand. It's one thing to acknowledge what a person's doing. But what is the legacy you're leaving behind concerning your family? Now, let's just be blunt here for a moment. Is it possible that some of us may have family members? I don't know, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, son, daughter, you know, whatever, brother, sister, just a family member that's going to end up in the lake of fire for all eternity. Yeah, that's possible. We have to face that reality. But at the same time, what is our declaration? What What is the legacy we're leaving behind in the hearts and minds of others concerning how we speak about our family members? What is that testimony? I'm not talking about we lie about our family members, but what's the testimony? When it comes to what we're going through, our own physical battles, What's the testimony that we leave behind? What's the legacy? When it comes to trusting God, how many times have we said, I just don't know what to do. I just don't know what God wants. I just can't take it anymore. I'm just not. Oh, I just. How many times have we said that as opposed to God, like Abraham, I don't know what direction you're leading me, but I'm going to follow. What legacy... Are we leaving? And some of us, I don't know how many, but you know, we might really want to be thinking about this. It's one thing to say, God, I trust you. God, I trust your word. That's one thing. But then doing it is something else. When... Um, If you ever take a course on public speaking and the teacher is good, 
One of the things they'll tell you is you want to make a statement at the beginning that captures everybody's attention so they listen to everything that you have to say. Okay. Well, sometimes I do that. Sometimes I don't. But I'm going to give you a statement, and I'm asking you, please, don't leave. And don't throw anything at me. And and don't turn off, okay? Just hear me out, all right? One of the best ways... Are you ready? All right. Are you sitting down? (laughs) One of the best ways to go to hell is to love God. And you're thinking, boy, are you ate up, Brother Martin. Well, now, wait a second. I'm going to explain. Okay. (laughs) I wish you would. Okay. Then I'll jump ahead and then back up. Okay. Do you realize how many religious groups there are out there that truly, truly love the one true God? Think about it. There are a bunch of them. There's one particular religious group out there that if they are members of that group and they are sincere, and I mean they adhere to the teachings of that religious group, they love Yahweh, Jehovah God, the Alpha, the Omega, you know, they love Him. But, they're still waiting for the Messiah to show up. Do you follow what I'm saying? They're still waiting for the Messiah. They don't believe Jesus was the Messiah. But they do believe there will be a Messiah. They do believe there's going to be a Savior. They just don't think He's come yet. But they love God. They absolutely love Him. Then, you have religious groups that um, they truly love God. Absolutely, positively love God. And they'll serve and do and, and so on and so forth. But, They do not truly believe that Jesus is the only way to God. They believe in the one true God, but they don't really believe that Jesus is the way. And in some places, they'll tell you that Jesus and and, uh, Satan are brothers. But they love the one true God. So, yeah, One of the best ways to go to hell is to love God, but ignore His Word. Now let me show you. Turn over to John 14. See, this is all a part of the legacy, of leaving a legacy. You know, the basics of obedience are really easy, you know, for us. And we'll get into that here in just a moment. But in John chapter 14... I'll give you a moment to turn over there because I want you to see this. Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, If ye love me, keep my commandments. See that? If you love me, keep my commandment. No, you don't keep your church's commandments. You don't keep the commandments you make for yourself. You keep His commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 21, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. 
You know, it's easy just to pass over verses like this and not really pay attention to what's being said. He that hath my commandments. Okay, number one, do you have his commandments? Well, if you have a Bible, whether in print form or electronic form, if you have a Bible, guess what? You have his commandments. Now, some people might turn around and ask, okay, what are his commandments? What you just told me is, you're not reading his word to find out what his commandments are. You get that? It's not complicated. So, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them. Okay, well I have them, but now am I keeping them? He it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Is it possible that a lack of keeping his commandments is interfering with our desire as individuals to really have a super encounter with Jesus? Well, based on this, yeah. And then if you look in verse 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my Father will love him. Now look at this. And we will come unto him and make our abode, our dwelling place, our place of fellowship with him. That's what he says. God, I want more of you. I want more of you. It's almost like what we say too often is, and we, we don't really mean it like this, but God, I want more of you. I want more of you on my terms. You know, I will establish my word and I will keep my word and I want you to respond uh, the way that you would respond if it were your word. And God, basically, he's telling you here, well, that's not going to work. You know, for example, God, I'll go to church whenever I feel like it, which may not be too frequently, but in spite of that, I expect you to show up. Now I say, wait a second, that, that book you have in your hands, have you not read it lately? Which is kind of a rhetorical question because he knows if you have read it in the last 12 years. Right? He knows. And then if you look over in chapter 15, John chapter 15, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Isn't that interesting? Jesus kept the Father's commandments. And because of that, he was able to abide in the Father's love. One of the results of abiding in the Father's love is, guess what? An unhindered flow of the glory, presence, anointing, and power of God to do the works of God in this world. He says, so if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. How many times have any of us gone through the, um, I just don't know if God loves me anymore. I just don't feel like God loves me anymore. And what we tend to do is pat people on the back and tell them, oh, now, 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 you know, God loves you here. Here's a Kleenex. Let's all cry. What's it say? If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. You remember that thing, you know, tough love years ago that came out? Parents, you know, tough love with your kids. Sometimes 
Christians need some of that tough love. I just don't think God loves me no more. I just don't. I just don't feel His love anymore. Well, why don't you try keeping His commandments? But why are you being so mean to me? Hey, I'm just repeating what God said in the Bible. He said, if you keep His commandments, then you abide in His love. Now, if you're feeling like God doesn't love you, is it possible you've been stepping outside the commandments? I'm not in sin. I didn't say you were. Why would you say that unless you're feeling guilty about something? Are you, are you get, understanding this? See, you can't get away from what he says here. And then, if you look in John chapter 15, verse 14. Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. <laughs> how many of us, how many of us would Jesus say, yep, they're my friends. He says, if, if you're my friends, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you to do. This is him. This is Jesus telling us. Now, look over in 1 John, chapter 5. 1 John, chapter 5. And we'll just take a look at one verse here. Verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous. This is the love of God. Now, we could go through this, we could spend a lot of time just going through this one entire chapter. But very briefly, think of it from this perspective. I say that I love God. I love you, God. I love you, God. And God says, alright, you say that you love me. Well, this is how you demonstrate that love. You keep my commandments. And then, oh, by the way, my commandments are not grief-inducing. How many of us have said things like, I just don't think I can do this. I just don't think I can live this way. I, God just asking too much. And God is saying, hold on here. I told you my commandments are not grievous. Think of it like this. When God... Okay, the very basics of obedience are simple beyond simple. Okay, consider it this way. God says in His Word, makes it very clear now, if you're a man, you're not supposed to be fellowshipping with another man. If you're a woman, you're not supposed to be fellowshipping with another woman. If you're single... You're not supposed to be fellowshipping with anybody, male or female. And if you're married, you're only supposed to be fellowshipping with your husband or wife. How simple is that? And yet there are Christians out there, you'd think, that, but what I just said, you'd think God was asking them to perform brain surgery on themselves with a soup spoon. It's just goofy. It's like, don't tell me you can't do that. I don't mean the brain surgery. I mean the part about, you know, you don't do that other stuff. You just don't. It's simple. When God says, you know, the fluid that you ingest, it's not supposed to be impacting your senses. How simple is that? 
Well, I just like, you know, uh, I like beer with my pizza. Well, that's easy to change. Just have a Coke. Or a Pepsi. Or something. Oh, but you know, to me, beer and pizza. That's the perfect match. It's a match made in heaven. No, it's not. <laughs> now, the pizza part, yeah, amen. <laughs> See what I'm getting at? You, you just don't. It's not hard. If God talks about, in Scripture, you're not supposed to be putting things in your body so that you can have visions of pink monkeys riding on purple elephants down the middle of your street. You know what I'm talking about. Then you just don't do it. It's not that hard. In other words, when God says in His Word, stop the sin and be holy, well, if you're a Christian, you can do it. I just don't think I can do this. I just, you know, sin's got such a grip on me. Then get born again. Because the moment you get born again, the only grip is in your mind, not on your spirit. That's it. You you think you're still under the power of sin. Not if you're born again. Because the power of that victory is alive inside you. So if he says, be holy, then you be holy. If he says, study to show yourself approved unto me. Rightly dividing my word. If he says, that's not hard. Well, yeah, but I didn't go to seminary. Neither did... Almost any of the people in the New Testament. Peter and John, ignorant and unlearned men, but they were they had been with Jesus. So don't tell me you can't do this. See, years ago, I bought into all the excuses. I made some of my own. I, I just bought into all that. Well, guess what? I now understand you those excuses, uh-uh, they don't work with God and they don't work with me. And it would be very easy to make a lot of people really mad by just saying, no, that's just an excuse. Well, you just don't know what it's like for me. No, I don't, but God does, and according to His Word, there are no exceptions. Now, you can make yourself an exception if you want, but God's not going to accept it. When He says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, that's simple. It's so easy. You just get out of bed and go to church. Well, I, ah, Brother Martin, I don't, I was up late last night watching the game. God was up late last night watching you watch the game. Yeah. (laughs) It's not that big of a deal. You just get up and go. Well, yeah, but Brother Martin, you're the pastor. You know, you have to be here. Wait a minute. The Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. It doesn't say, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together if you're the pastor. Okay, that's a statement for the body of Christ. Is it possible some of you in here are kind of lazy? (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Alright. Yeah, but... Hey, what was that <laughs> perfect title for a sermon that everybody would listen to? 
lay your butts on the altar. Yeah, yeah but, yeah, but, yeah, but. <laughs> After the service, I can some of you come running up here. There, Brother Martin, I did it, I did it. <laughs> What I'm getting, and, and you know, we could come up with a whole, you know, longer list here, things like this. It's easy. I mean, it really is easy. Before I was even pastoring, went to church. I mean, if it work all day, go to church. Get up Sunday morning, go to church. That just that was just life, and that's the way it's supposed to be. We make excuses. And we accept them. And we think because we accept them that God accepts them. If you love me, keep my commandments. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Do you realize that's an instruction? That's not God saying if you feel like it. No, that's, that's an instruction. When you go through the New Testament, see a lot of people want to talk about, you know, well, we're Christians, we're not under the law. You know, we're not under all... No, yeah, well, we are to an extent under like the Ten Commandments. Yeah, you still can't be doing that stuff and what all it says. But when you get over here into the New Testament, there are a lot of instructions that are presented in kind of a passive way that you can read it and, and think, oh, that's nice. And then you don't realize that this is a commandment from God for Christians and this is what we're supposed to do. And he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You'll prove your love for me. You know, one of the things that I do to prove my love for Kathy is to keep myself faithful to her. And I've done a really good, perfect, excellent job of that our entire married life. You know what? Kathy was talking to somebody one time. I mean, this is shocking. And somehow in this little group, they were talking about um, faithfulness in marriage and people that cheat. And this one person in the group said, everybody cheats. Everybody cheats. Like, good glory to God, what are you just now admitting? No, everybody doesn't cheat. No, they don't. And the only reason, as a Christian, the only reason you do that is because you choose to. If God is faithful, and He is, then we can be faithful. We go through the Word of God, and people want to say, but I love Him, I love Him, I love Him. I love Him, I love Him, I love Him. (laughs) And keep my commandments. And my commandments are not grievous. I'm not going to lay a burden on you that you can't do. It's not going to happen. And when it comes to the specifics of what God wants us to do, for example, take... Take Abram, Abraham. You know, God said, pack up and move. All right, let's say that God wants you to do something. Now, He wants you to do something, but it doesn't mean He wants me to do what He's told you to do. Well, how are you going to find out what He wants you to do? That comes through prayer, fasting, worship, and the Word. Because the more time that you spend in fellowship with Him, is the more you're going to be able to discern that next level of instruction. The first level, it's all contained here in Scripture. Very simple. 
But that next level, the specifics of what He wants you to do, okay, that comes through times of fellowship and intimacy with Him. You know, um, God does tell some people to go to a third world country and minister. But He doesn't tell everybody to go. And I've heard this thing, uh, you know, for years, uh, I heard this years ago, and sometimes it can put you under condemnation, but I've heard it said, every Christian should go on a missions trip. And I used to think, well, that makes sense. I don't think that makes sense anymore. Just because a preacher stands up and says every Christian should go on a missions trip? No. No, I do not live by that preacher's word. I live by the word of God, and I don't know that God is telling everybody to go on a missions trip. Now, you could pray and ask him, is it okay if I go on? And he may give you, yeah, it's, a, it's you know, I give you permission to go on this trip. Praise God for it. But see, if you don't get in there with God, you can start misinterpreting what he's told other people to do as being what he's telling you to do. You ever heard people say things like, oh, I just that just bears witness with my spirit. You ever heard that? And then other people say, well, I'm, that just doesn't bear witness with my spirit. You know, okay, praise God. There can be a lot of emotions involved in that. Why don't you take that bear witness Set it aside for a moment. Get in there and pray and be sure that your bear witness is God's witness bearing unto you. <laughs> See what I'm getting at? Turn over to, to John chapter 6. What legacy are we leaving for those behind? You know what's interesting is uh, when you go back and you read through the Old Testament, especially um, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua... Every now and then it talks about how uh, somebody had an encounter with God, whatever the situation was. But what they did was, you know, uh, well, they took stones and they built an altar unto God as a memorial to what God had done or the encounter they had with Him. In fact, in a couple of places, God even says, take stones, built an altar, so that when your children or their children ask, what is this? Then you will tell them, here's what this represents. In other words, this is the legacy. We're, this, this pile of stones, it may not look like much, but it's there for a reason. This represents the legacy. We're leaving this, we're building this as a legacy to what God has done in our lives and the experience that we had with Him, the victories. That he's given to us. You know, in John chapter 6, verse 28, Jesus is talking and teaching, and, and they said unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. That you believe on him. That's not just a matter of, well, yeah, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. No, you believe on him. What did he say? If you love me, do my commandments. Now, if I believe on him, then I will do his commandments. That's part of the works of God. Oftentimes, we want to take this whole thing of doing the works of God and put it in this little category of 
blind eyes being opened and the deaf ears being opened and the lame walking, the dead being raised and the casting out of devils and so on and so forth. However, it's far broader than that. The whole works of God, working the works of God includes, if you love me, do my commandments. In fact, what's interesting, if you look in John chapter 3, you know, Jesus just finished saying, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. And in John chapter 3, Nicodemus shows up and says, Jesus, nobody can do the miracles you're doing except God be with him. And Jesus says in verse 3, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And it's almost like Jesus says, Now, if you don't understand that, let me say it differently. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must be born again. And then in, in verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, Earlier when I said, one way to go to hell is to love God. Because you can say, I love God, I love God, I love God, but never truly believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then you can say, I love God, I love God, I love God, and as far as you know, as far as you feel, as far as you determine in your heart, you truly love God, but yet you're living with somebody you're not married to. Guess what? You don't go to heaven. Because he makes it very clear, you can't have this kind of lifestyle going on. I mean, on and on it goes. What's happened in the body of Christ, we have come up with a set of standards over the years now. We've come up with a set of standards that we say is passively permissible before God. And we won't condemn you for it. Because God is a God of grace, and He understands. And so therefore, in effect, what we do is, we give people permission to be lukewarm, to be carnal, to be backsliders, to be in sin, on and on it goes. And yet, when you get into the Word of God, you cannot find a foundation for that type of belief and teaching. It's not in there. If you love me, keep my commandments. Well, I love you. Okay, well, you need to work on the commandments part. And and again, the whole thing of, well, I just don't know if I can do all this. <laughs> it's kind of weird. We train our flesh and emotions to compromise without believing we're compromising. We accept, we accept, I'll say it like this, we accept lukewarm behavior in ourselves and then we think it's all okay with God. You know, parents, you can't keep using your kids as the excuse for not walking with God the way that you should, no matter how much you say you love Him. You can't do that. Because when you stand before God, it's just you and God. That's it. Adam tried that, didn't he? Not with his kids, but with his wife. Adam... What have you done? Well, everything was okay till you brought this woman into my life. And then all I hear, eat, 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 okay? 
I couldn't take it anymore. So I ate. Now God got on to her, yeah. But did He accept that? No. He didn't. You know, there are parents out there, they're messing up, man. Because they want to use their kids as the excuse for their own lukewarmness, and then the tears flow. It's like, oh, but these kids, and oh, but these kids. Well, you know, you just have to deal with God about it. Because if there were a child exclusion clause for doing the commandments, it would be in there. But it's not. And there's also not a parental exclusion clause. So kids can't blame their parents. You can't blame anybody, man. Well, I thought he loved me. Well, I thought she loved me. Now look what they done did. No, you know, no. Uh-uh. Nope. 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 It doesn't work. Flat out doesn't work. You can't, you cannot blame depression on the acts of another individual. Depression in the life of a Christian is a choice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Totally up to you. If you love me, keep my commandments. Yeah, well, I'm just not in the mood today. Rejoice in me. And again I say, rejoice. On and on. (laughs) On and on it goes. What legacy will we be leaving for those who remain? And you say, well, what if, what if we never die? I mean, what if the Lord comes back? All right, well, praise God. What legacy are we leaving for the people we know now? What legacy are we leaving in the hearts and minds for the people that we now know, friends, family members, whatever it is, what legacy are they testifying of to other people if we come up into conversation? What are they saying? What is the legacy that we're leaving? You know, I think about myself, and um, there are a lot of things in my life I wish I hadn't done. Even as a Christian, a lot of things I wish I hadn't done. I can't go back and, and change. But what I can do is repent. What I can do is make it right. And what I can do is go from this point forward and keep His commandments. That's what I can do. And then my legacy becomes... Well, you know, he did this and he did that, but he kept pressing into God and, you know, he got his act together. I mean, he he didn't do that stuff anymore. Nobody ever knew of him doing any of this or any of that or saying this or talking that way or whatever. You know, he got past that. He lived by the power of God and conquered those things. Man, praise God for that testimony. Praise God for that legacy. And that's something we can all have. But if we truly love Him, we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not grievous. Praise the Lord. Father, I know that You want us conforming fully to the image of Jesus. And that is the the testimony, the legacy that we need to leave while we're alive and then 
when we pass on, if indeed we pass on before you return. Father, I pray that we will all be sensitive to this and we'll all, you know, evaluate our lives because I truly believe that we all love you, but then it's a matter of keeping your commandments. And we need to be sensitive to this. And we need to do it the way that you've outlined in your word. We don't have any excuses. So, Father, we can do this. In fact, you've said in your word that we can do all things through Christ which strengthens us. In your name, Lord Jesus, amen.